So thank you guys for coming out to our events. We have these events every week, usually Wednesdays at 9, Saturdays, Thursday at 8. But you can stay up to date at Students of Dentistry on Instagram or Evolve Pre-Dental Pittsburgh. So um, we have this awesome event on CBSE mentoring. So if our panelists, panelists would like to introduce themselves, you guys can go ahead. All right, guys. Well, I'm Brendan. We're all interns here, but I'm Brendan and... I'm Peter, first year at NYU with, with Brendan and Bobby. I uh, went to Penn for dental school um, and uh, I guess Temple for, for undergrad as well. So I'm a Philly guy living in, in New York right now. I'm Bobby. I'm from uh, Jupiter, Florida originally. I went to Duke for undergrad, uh, Columbia for dental school, and then I stayed for New York in New York for residency. All right, so and it doesn't have just have to be, see, it could be more than CBSE too. It could be really anything. Um, the application process is a, is a stressful, stressful, thing. just like getting into dental school. It's stressful. Um, anything we can answer from general motor motivation questions to literally like hours of studying the CBSE. Let's go in. Let's go in right now. This hour is for you guys. Yeah, so we have our questions prepared, but if anyone has questions, feel free to unmute yourself or answer or drop them in chat. So our first question that we have was, what was your journey from dental school to OMFS residency like? How similar and different is it to applying to dental school? Bobby, why don't you start this off and then we'll go back and then we'll go forth like that. Yeah, um, so my journey from dental school to OMFS or from undergrad to OMFS? From dental school, right? Okay, so my journey from dental school to OMFS is I originally came into uh, dental school wanting to do general dentistry. I thought that was really cool. I thought that, um, you know, originally I thought being able to kind of uh, own your own office was great. And also having a, being that general dentist that was just kind of a jack of all trades, like someone walking in and being able to kind of treat all aspects of their uh, needs in terms of oral care, whether it be a cosmetic, restorative, um, give them out of pain. I thought that was great. You know, I, that was my original goal about it. And then I went to Columbia, um, which was a heavily like specialty focused school for a lot of students. And I got exposure to a lot of different specialties. And one of those, you know, was oral surgery. And in oral surgery, I got to do things um, like extractions. And also I went into the OR, you know, I got to see a lot of the cases and stuff like that. And I realized uh, the the procedures that they were doing like the the stuff that they were doing were like the kind of stuff that really really interested me that I found really intriguing and also just the biomedical background you know like trying to being able to kind of understand the patient as a whole rather than just the oral cavity or just you know the mouth that was huge for me I thought that was wonderful and that's something I wanted to do and eventually I pursued it, you know, I took the test. It, a lot of things just kind of fit together for me, you know, like the, the biomedical sciences part and also just finding the right mentors along the way, you know, the right people to talk to that kind of guide you and also the kind of people that you kind of look up to that uh, you want to work with in the future. That was big for me. And that that's kind of what got me on this path towards oral surgery. Even though I do think it's it's just a long, long commitment. It's a big commitment, right? It's a long process, especially I'm on the six year route. So it's a, it's a big commitment, it's a long process. And, um, but yeah, no, I, I've enjoyed it so far and it's, it's been good. I'm glad I made the decision. Yeah, you know, just to kind of 
piggyback off of that. I think, you know, we're all kind of, the three of us are pretty like-minded. I think we're all going to kind of be saying like similar things here. Um, again, you know, when I, when I first got to dental school as well, um, for me, it was either between general dentistry or oral surgery. I wasn't really interested in any other specialties. Um, you know, I wasn't really a big fan of, of root canals and ortho was a little bit too hands-off, uh, but oral surgery is very hands-on. Um, although you're doing, you know, different procedures than general dentistry. Um, and, you know, to me, a big thing when I first got to, to Penn, and I encourage you all to do this at, at your dental schools or, or wherever you are, is to find, you know, mentors. Um, so I had some great mentors that I, I reached out to very early on. Um, I had an interest in research going into dental school, and I kind of uh, went that route with research. And I really, really tried to do as much as I could. Um, and then, of course, you know, I went into to the, the OR, to Shadow, and I did some externships, and, you know, I really just loved the procedures. Um, you know, I, 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 like Bobby, I like formulating, like, those big treatment plans as well, but it's also nice on the other side, you know, you, you, you know, it's, it's nice interacting with patients on a, on a, you know, monthly basis, but at some, every now and then, it's also nice to just, like, place a couple implants, you know, do some wisdom teeth, and then you kind of move on with your life. Um, so that was kind of a, a nice thing too, honestly, for me, for, for oral surgery. Um, and again, you know, the, the biomedical thing as well. Um, I'm also one of the six year residents. Um, and that was something that also interests me, just get a more like holistic, um, viewpoint to, to the human body and you're able to treat, you know, someone, um, you know, medically and in, in a, in a better sense. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a combination of all those things throughout dental school that kind of led me to, to this point here. You're on mute. Thank you. For those of you that don't that, that don't know, uh, NYU has two six years and one four year. So that's why uh, Peter and Bobby, they were saying they're six years and I'm the four year guy. Uh, my journey started way back in high school. I was, um, I was looking to go to med school and basically I was going to the gym and there were these three guys. They were, the gym community knew them as the men in black. And they knew I was studying for, for medicine, potentially medical school or dental school, whatever. And one day they were like, well, go ahead and take the MCAT, but, but come in and see what we do. Like, come, come and chat with us for a day. Why not? You know, it'll be fun. It'll be good. Right. Um, and these guys, I, they were hilarious. Everyone loved them at the gym. They were funny. They were, they were yoked. Oh my God, they were ripped. And I was like, you know, I, I could, I kind of want to be these guys. And um, so I went in and shadowed them. The de there was a, two cosmetic dentists and one oral surgeon. Obviously, I fell in love with the oral surgery and um, didn't even take the MCAT, took the DAT, went to dental school and just full steam ahead into here we are, oral surgery. And it, I mean, it's, it's, it was so hard. I know all of you guys are probably going through. It's such a stressful time. But I think we all need to hear once in a while that at, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and it's there. You just got to keep aiming for it. You got to take every day, one day at a time, and you'll get there. All right. Thank you. Um, our next question is, what advice do you have for dental students interested in OMFS and they're just starting their um, prep for CBSC? Oof, well, you got to really see what um, what motivates you the most. What really inspires you, you know, because obviously everyone loves something within dentistry, whether it's one specific field, whether it's all of them, you want to hone in like what really drives you to study for the CBSE. It's no walk in the park. Um, and Bobby and Peter know that much more than I do. They, they crushed it. They have two of the top scores in the country. So questions specific to the exam, I think they are the best people you could possibly ask for that. 
Um, you really need to have, it's, it's hard. I mean, studying 10 to 15 hours a day for multiple months, like three to six months, you need to be able to tell yourself, like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it for that long of a time period. And this is why I'm doing it. Um, I think you really need to shadow. You need to meet, just like Peter said, I mean, you need to have the best mentor in the world that's personalized to you for you to be able to crush it. And you will, uh, Peter, what do you think? Yeah, so I, I think the most important thing here um, for taking the CBC is that you have to be fully committed, you know, so like Brendan said, you, you want to make sure that, you know, you want to do oral surgery. So even before you take the test, before you start studying for the test, I think you should, you know, reach out, go into your oral surgery clinic or go into the OR and, and make sure that's for you. Because in order to do well in this test um, and, you know, scores are, are just increasing essentially every year um you you want to make sure that that you know this is this is what you want to do um and again every every school you know is different um so penn you know is a little bit more challenging we have a pretty uh, you know intense i guess clinical uh schedule you know we're, we're in the clinic pretty often um it's graded um we don't have a medical curriculum I'm sure Bobby could comment on that at Columbia, um, which definitely helps. So, you know, if you're, if you're an undergrad, I don't know if there are any undergrads in here, I would definitely suggest that, that you look for a, for a school and, and Brendan went to Stony too. You look for a school with a medical curriculum, integrated medical curriculum, because that'll really help you kind of focus on, um, on, you know, CBSC. And a lot of those professors in the medical school, they kind of teach for step one, which is essentially CBSE. Uh, but you could definitely do it at a school without a medical curriculum. You just have to make sure you're very organized um, and you are committed to to um, to OMFS. And I'm sure we'll go into more detail regarding like study materi materials in a little bit. But I think those are kind of the two big things for me. Yeah, I, I definitely agree uh, when it comes to that. I think, you know, just to echo on that, you got to find a way to, to you, got, you have to find intrinsic motivation somehow, right? Like it's, it's more than just, I want this score because it's very hard to force yourself to do something you don't want to for, you know, for like a six months period. Cause that's how long people usually spend something for this as like a three to six months period. It's so hard to force yourself to do that. If you can't see like a clear, definite goal at the end that you really, really want, you know, if you can't see that, then your, your question to yourself is why in the world I'm doing this. And then you'll just, you'll just lose motivation. And then uh, what Peter kind of said about having a biomedical background or going to a school, it is true that some schools are just geared um, towards an easier time studying for these things. Like I think Columbia is one of those schools where it was just easier. Like I think the the way of studying for the CBSC has totally changed in the past four years too. Like when I first started dental school, what you would do is you go through all your dental curriculum and then at the end um, you would take that six months, you know, to study everything. But nowadays, like I see people starting out first week of dental school and they're like already going through all that uh step one and cbse stuff along with their medical or your medical or dental school curriculum you know they're studying during that and they're taking their tests earlier and they're doing exactly what the med students are doing in preparation for step one and they're doing better on the test because of that you know so that integration definitely helps now these days i think um partly and also i think there's something to comment on on the age of covid is that it's gonna be it's it's conducive for you guys I think especially if everything is still um, Zoom, right? Like and you can watch your lectures and you don't have to go to lecture and sit there and listen to someone talk 
um, on normal speed for two hours. You can just, you know, listen to it yourself, go through the study material, uh, the board, like the step one or CBSE relevant study material alongside it, you know, make your own flashcards, do it on your own studying time. Uh, there's something to be said about that could be really, really helpful, you know, so I wish you guys good luck uh, if you're just starting out on the CBSE and also if you're about to take it in like a week or two. Thank you. Um, so going off this exam, I know there's probably some undergrads, you know, pre-dentals in this Zoom. So can you guys explain to us, um, you know, the difference between taking the CBSE and the DAT? What are the differences in like the subjects that are that are um, accounted for? And yeah, I know, Brendan, you talked about your study schedule for a bit, like you studied for three to six months. I mean, that's kind of similar to the DAT, but I'm sure you guys have more knowledge than me. So. Yeah, I hit about three months um, and we could go even more in depth into that. But honestly, three months probably isn't enough. I mean, you got to give it your all. And then now multiply that by sometimes you're spending the entire day in clinic. So you get out at maybe five um, and then you have until like 10, 11 to study that night. I was doing as soon as I would get out of clinic at five, I would run to Panera Bread. I'd sit down. I'd pop my my new the AirPods and I have noise canceling. And I would study until 10 o'clock when Panera closed, get up at 6 a.m., do another block of UWorld questions, try and review them throughout the day, lunch, whatever, and then right back to it at five. What about you guys? How was yours? You know what I mean? Like on top of clinic, that is not easy. Yeah, so, so I took it um, the summer going into third year of dental school, which is when you start clinic. So I started studying probably like in May or so, and I studied for two to three months. Um, and I took it for the first time. And then I took it again, the following test, which was like in February. In between, after I took that first test, I took like one to two months off just to kind of recharge. And then I did like another three months again, essentially. Um, it's definitely, I would suggest for those of you who are in dental school, I would suggest that you guys try to take it during your didactic years, uh, during your first two years, just because at least at Penn Clinic, it gets like really crazy. You have a lot of lab work, you have all this stuff going on and you, you get some time off in between like your first and second year. I just suggest you, you try to bang it out then. Um, you know, the, the, the formula to do well in the CBSC, you know, there have been students who have been doing very well in the CBSC for years. And it's, it's pretty much like out there, you know, there, there are some really good study materials um, and you just have to kind of just go through it. Um, just going back to the question that uh, Jada asked, um, the, you know, the DAT is kind of broken into like those, those five sections or whatever they were, like Gen Chem, you know, OCHEM and, and all that stuff. The, the CBSC is essentially an abridged version of step one, um, which is the test that all medical students take before they kind of start um, their residency programs. Um, so it's definitely more uh, medical based, you know, there, there's kind of like clinical silhouettes and things that you have to kind of read and you answer questions. Um, again, it's all multiple choice, but it's more medical based. Um, so you're looking at like organ systems um, and pharmacology and, and, and things like that. So it's a little bit more in depth, uh, but it requires like the same amount of dedication, honestly, you know, so in total, I probably studied like six months when it for for two, two takes, so. Yeah, I, I did six months as well. I did, I started in January of my second year and I finished 
in July or maybe like seven months, I guess. Like, I started in January, like late January of my second year because that was when I took boards part two for dental school. And then I finished uh, right up until the end of the test, which was like late July or uh, mid-August of my third year, like very beginning of my third year. And it definitely took a lot um, out of me especially when clinics started because kind of what Brendan mentioned the whole thing about um, having to wake up early in the morning before clinic to get a, to get like an hour or two in and then also finding the motivation to do it after clinic when you're physically tired, right? Like there's definitely a difference between mentally tired and physically tired. It's like if you're, if you're mentally exhausted from something, you can kind of go, you know, take a break, go watch TV for half an hour, come back. If you're physically tired, you literally just want to go to sleep after, you know, just as a beginning dental student after seeing two patients. And it's very, very hard. In regard to the DAT versus the um, the CBSE, the DAT, you guys probably recall, is very much like memory-based, right? It was, it was very much memory-based and factual, whereas this test is more like second or third step knowledge application. You know, if you, if you knew the knowledge behind something, you'd also have to be able to reason out the mechanism um, that causes that, that that's behind the knowledge. And the answer would be the mechanism, you know, or something related to the mechanism. It wouldn't be the exact answer itself. So it's, it's, it's a deeper level of understanding. It's really a test of how much you understand versus uh, how much you memorize. Awesome, thank you. Uh, we were DM this question. Do you have any advice for current dental students who have been shadowing? Even uh, even as of this week, only D3 and D4 students are allowed to do rotations and most private offices don't wanna take that risk. Shadowing is in before dental school? I'm guessing so the person that DM this, uh, uh, may be able to speak on that. They can drop that in the chat or so. Sure, sure. Um, just really quick to answer that, uh, as far as shadowing goes prior to dental school, there are extremely, there, there are several accounts, you know, fresh dental shadowing, dental shadowers, and there's also another one that has like a tannish color to it. These are three accounts that are doing massive, uh, they're breaking boundaries right here where practices aren't willing to take on people to shadow during times, COVID, post-COVID, um, it's still getting back to normal. They're making events like ours where, I mean, they're taking on clinicians that are giving presentations, running you through what they do in the day, the operations that they do, the procedures that they've done, what they're looking to do going forward. Uh, just so much you could do with that. And actually, it's a great question because we're looking to change something within top professional self where we're bringing the shadowing aspect to something you could actually make applicable to your resume when you apply to dental schools. So there's something coming. I don't want to, I don't really reveal that yet. As far as um, during dental school shadowing, the closest thing to that for oral surgery is externships. The magic number to get is three. You do, you do them for about a week. Maybe they'll ask you to come back and get a second try. Um, anything besides that, as far as shadowing goes, Peter, Bobby, do you think what is anything right that shadowing is usually prior to dental school? Would you guys agree? Yeah, I'd say, yeah, I'd say shadowing is prior to dental school. And also, even if you shadowed, um, dental, like, even if you shadowed oral surgeons during dental school, they still 
most likely wouldn't be able to write you a letter of recommendation unless they were also affiliated with uh, the university. You know, because a lot of these programs, they're looking for full-time attendings. Those are the kind of letters they're looking for, uh, not, not private practice oral surgeons. Okay, I think our next question was, how do internships work? And I think Shareem asked that, and how many are accepted to a program after intern year? So yeah, I saw the dialogue in the, in the chat. I, I think Shareem is asking about non-cat uh, positions. Definitely non-cat. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so every program, well, not every program, but uh, many programs, you know, in the United States, they take, so categorical interns, I guess, or interns are PGY1s, it's confusing, but categorical interns are what we are. Um, so we're, we're, you know, members of the program, I guess, we're going to matriculate into PGY2 and so on. There's also non-categorical interns, which is what Shareem is kind of mentioning, I think. Um, so these are essentially, um, you, you go to a program and you spend a year there, okay? And, and you're, you're essentially an intern, uh, but you don't matriculate to PGY2, but you get all the experience that an intern gets and it looks great on your CV. Um, so typically people do these when they don't match um, into a, a categorical position. Um, and, you know, I forget what the exact question was. Um, how many are accepted to a program after intern year? So you're not guaranteed like an acceptance to that program, whatever whatever program you're interning at. Um, I'm sure you know they they look at their own interns, their own non-categorical interns highly. Uh, but again, it's not a guarantee, but it's certainly something that'll boost your application if you if you don't match to a program as a categorical intern. Um, so it's something that, you know, is, is really, is really something great. And you get a lot of, um, a lot of good experience through that. Okay. Awesome. We got another question in the chat that asks, could you list some of the resources you guys use for the CBSE? I mean, there's, there's mainly like. I guess, what, what would you say, guys, like three or, or four big ones? Yeah. Um, you know, first aid, obviously, is kind of like your encyclopedia for, for um, the CBSE. It has everything you need to know, you know, cover to cover. Um, there are things that help you kind of retain and, and memorize the information. I was talking to Ashley about this in the chat, but one thing is, is Sketchy Micro, Sketchy Farm, okay? So they kind of have, like... Um, I think they're technically called memory castles. They're pretty much like illustrations that help you memorize things about uh, like micro and pharmacology. Uh, so that's something that's definitely essential. Um, and then a lot of people like to use uh, pathoma for pathology, which is essentially like first aid, uh, but it's just strictly about pathology. And there's also like associated videos that go with that. Um, so those are like the three main things that I used. Um, and, you know, what I mentioned to Ashley is that, you know, in order to retain the information, uh, especially for like pharmacology and micro, um, you use an app called Anki, which is essentially just like flashcards. Um, and they kind of go through, you know, you know, what, whatever you're, you're trying to study there, there are like a million decks on Reddit um, that you can find. There are some really good ones. Like Zonki is like a really good deck that has pretty much like all the information you need for CBSE. 
Um, and you can kind of just work through that. Um, so yeah, the big three for me were first aid, sketchy, which includes micro and farm and then pathoma. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. So you have to, if you, if you want to set up like you're studying um, materials, it's, it's first of all, when you're, when you're trying to set up your study materials and what to study, try to keep it simple and try to keep it, you know, try to keep, find materials that are very encompassing and don't have too many different sources. Cause it gets very complicated when you're doing like five different sources, right? So for, like Peter said, you have to find, um, there's stuff that, that helps you with knowledge acquisition and all that, all that knowledge is in this like encyclopedia looking thing called first aid. And all the other resources are kind of uh, the knowledge acquisition resources are to help you understand and memorize and retain that knowledge, right? And that stuff is like the sketchy micro, sketchy and farm for microbiology and pharmacology, right? Pathoma for pathology. And I know a lot of people uh, like to use boards and beyond as well. They'll do that along with their classes. They'll use that to understand physiology and pathology. So there, that's, that's, you know, that's everything that's covered in first aid, basically, like the drugs, the microbes, the path and the physio, everything's covered in there, everything's ex explained to you. And now, you know, after watching and using those resources, you need a way to retain it. So how do we retain it? Well, you do flashcards, we can make quizlets, we can find pre-made Anki sets that a lot of people like to use, right? So once you get all that knowledge in, or you do your number certain a certain amount of learning a day, you have to kind of be able to apply the way to do that is to do practice questions. And the best practice question bank out there is you. Go through these, you, um, you understand. Or connected to everything else, how the heart is connected to the lungs, and it's it's stuff like that. It's it'll really really help you throughout the process if you kind of keep the amount of resources uh, you use. I would say to less than five, and you keep it simple. I think that's the way the best way to go about it. Something that Peter said, uh, that Bobby said here is so important. Keeping it simple because I mean, the first time I took it, I took it twice. The first time I took it, I found myself bump bouncing around between seven different. Think, oh my God, he said this, she said this, that guy on that podcast said, no, 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 you gotta, you have to find a handful of things that you could stick to that's realistic that you could get through each day of the week, right? And then, um, Preeti asked, what about you world? Yes, absolutely. But, uh, the initial question was resources. So, what Peter had said were these several things uh, that, that we go through for the resources, and then you slam you world. Those are questions, it's a question bank, but like what you refer to. Uh, resources yeah Anki first aid sketchy pathoma yeah I think that was answered excellently Bobby and, and Peter that was great all right so the next question is going to shy away from the CBSC but so I I believe you guys started your internship probably like a month ago but given your experience so far um how is residency different from dental school is it more studying less studying or <laughs> clinical hours like <laughs> Oh man, I'm going to jump in on this one. Last week I had, uh, I was on call trauma call. So the, the, the big one, three times last week, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, and, uh, just one. So first of all, dental school is like, Oh my God, the worst thing. Like, Oh my God, my drill, my, my, <laughs> my drill bit, it went to into her tongue. Oh my God. There, I saw a little bit of blood. I think there was a drop. Well, last week, Wednesday night, one 30 in the morning, I get a call in 
and there was a kid, who, some guy was slashed across the face. Okay, his nose was hanging down here. And here I am playing around with teeth two months ago. And I got to put this guy's nose back in its place. He was breathing through, through the bridge of his nose, right? So you have to do like deep sutures with a certain, with a certain uh, suture, like the, the string, so to say, that resorbs because it's inside. And then you stitch up the skin on the outside, right? And this is all done. And like, this was two o'clock in the morning. Um, I think that's a good way to answer it. And by the way, you didn't just get a full night's sleep. I didn't sleep 12 hours the night before. So um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great week. It was a great week. <laughs> what do you guys think? Yeah, it's definitely different. <laughs> um, you know, you're not you're not studying anymore, really. Um, you know, if you do the six year track, you're going to go off to medical school. So you do medical school for like two years, essentially. Um, so you'll be studying that. But in terms of when you're on service, um, it's totally different um, to, to dental school. Like like Brendan said, you know, you're you're kind of thrown into this this new environment, too. Um, you know, you have a hospital setting here. Um, it's a lot more faster paced and depending on where you are, you know, we're like in the middle of New York city. So you see like a lot of crazy things, you see a lot of crazy patients, um, patients you wouldn't normally see like in a dental school setting. Um, so yeah, it, it's vastly different from dental school, but again, you know, if we, we kind of circle back and if you know that this is what you want to do with oral surgery, then you're going to be like so hyped to, to do it. You know, you're going to love every second of it. I think all of us, you know, we go home and we're pretty happy. Um, so yeah, it's definitely faster paced, but you know, it, it's, it, if, if oral surgery is for you, then, then you're going to really enjoy it. Uh, I, I think, you know, I think I can pretty much speak for my co-residents, but our experience has been really good so far. I, I would say that, you know, you get a lot more, uh, independence than in, uh, than in dental school. Like, you know, how in dental school, like everything you do you kind of have like each individual step, you're waiting to get approved by a professor, they have to swipe up, swipe off and all these things. But as a resident, you get a lot more independence. And you know, with that, and with that independence comes a lot more responsibility as well, you know, because you're, you're taking care of patients now. And you're, especially in oral surgery, you're taking care of patients who uh, a lot of times are very sick, you know, so you don't want to mess up, you don't want to kind of, you know, and you like you can prescribe medication, you can change someone's orders, you can do all these things, and you you're responsible for them, you know, in that in that way as well. So it's, uh, it's definitely a lot, a lot more independence, a lot more freedom to kind of learn and do your own thing. And also at the same time, you know, the responsibility that comes with it. Thank you. Uh, speaking of like complex procedures, are you finding that dental school prepared you uh, and your dexterity well for those types of procedures? Um, I think oral surgery is very different from uh, dental school dexterity. I don't know. If, I don't know if the two translate really. I, I really don't. I think there's public. There's there's probably papers published looking at if uh, like oral maxillofacial surgeons have an easier time learning some of the surgical principles just because of how dexterity intensive dental school was. So it's, um, but I, I don't think so. I think, you know, like suturing stuff like that, like cutting a flap, things like that. Those are skills that you really don't have that much practice in, in dental school, you know, so, and you're going to do a lot of that in oral surgery. So you're just, it's, it's a lot of practice. You know, that's, that's what all those trauma nights on call are for all those suturing up, uh, you, 
you know, lacerations the emergency department are for is kind of practicing those dexterity skills. So I don't know. I don't think dental school necessarily has a job to prepare you uh, for the dexterity required in surgery at all. No, I think, I think you just learn as you go and you get better as you go. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, I think if anything, you need kind of more dexterity um, in dental school and like in dentistry, if you could cut like a really good class too, or do like a really nice crown prep, you're going to have like no problem um, in oral surgery. I mean, there are very, very, you know, intensive things that you have to do. Like if you're doing like microvascular nerve repair, um, obviously that requires a lot of dexterity, but, you know, extracting a tooth, it doesn't really require all that, all that much uh, dexterity. You know, it's, it's mostly just kind of, you know, elevating a tooth out. It's not really rocket science in that regard, but I, I, I do think, yeah, I, I think, if, if you if you're doing well in dental school um you're, you're not going to have an issue in in oral surgery honestly dexterity wise 100 percent. you you'll know exactly where you are as far as dexterity goes uh, there's a lot of confidence there's a lot of generalized knowledge in the medical field you need to be very aware of patients condition medically in oral surgery and uh, i mean you can't really learn that to too much of an extent in dental school. Dexterity-wise, uh, you will be fine. I think it's it's really interesting. Uh, I was talking to a doctor one day, one of the, the doctors at the hospital, and he was saying how their medical students, sometimes the extent of the hand skills that they get during medical school is suturing up, up a patient at, at the most, at the most. And here we are in dental school. I mean, you're starting doing crown, like crown, but like the tiniest micro, um, dexterity procedures in dental school doing whatever class two, three, five preps you're doing. That's, that's a very micro level. I mean, you're looking through magnifying glasses on your loops. It's safe to say at least an intern year, I would rather have, you know, uh, a dental student be stitching up my face than, than a medical student. Just, I don't know. Interestingly enough. Yeah. Dexterity. You're fine. You're fine. That's the least your worries. <laughs> All right, thank you. Our next question is also from the chat and it's asking, when going on externships, what are the most important things to know that residents ask, such as head and neck anatomy or procedures? <laughs> uh, actually, one of the recent questions of the day on our account, on, on the Instagram account at NYU is, uh, after a fort one osteotomy, what is the blood supply to the maxilla? Now, this is some one of the doctors at Montefiore asked, the, inter the externs while we were there. And, I, but the bottom line is it, it doesn't really matter. It's how appreciative you are at the externship itself. It's how much you're willing to learn, how it's, it's respect, it's willingness to learn, how teachable are you, um, how quickly you can pick things up when you're taught it. You know what I mean? You can't be, you can't necessarily become prepared for an externship. It's what you do while you're there. It's, it's how you act, what, how you carry yourself um, and how willing you are to, to contribute. Right. What do you guys think? Yeah, I don't really remember like preparing anything for, for externships. I think just go in like with a really good mentality, um, you know, always offer to help. You know, a big thing that we like in externs is, you know, people who like like to write notes and who are good at writing notes. Um, you know, it saves a lot of time. Um, but again, <laughs> you know, you, you just want to be just help with anything, you know, and, and just make sure you leave like a good impression. Try not to be on your phone too much. Um, that's something that I try not to do when I did my externships um, and just be, you know, as involved as possible. 
No, I, I definitely agree. There's um, you're an extern, right? You're not really expected to know anything. You know, there's there's not much expect. Oh, oh, I do think you're expected to know some head and neck anatomy, like whatever they teach you in dental school. Yeah, know that. You know, like know know the arteries and stuff like that. That's something to know. But like oral surgery related, especially like specific oral surgery things, you might impress someone here and there who are really into like asking you questions. But you you really aren't expected to know much. And even as interns like us by the, the chiefs and also the faculty like they don't really expect us to know much you know because we're learning we're, we're, we're first years we're not expected to know much beyond the basics of whatever we learn in dental school um but there is that expectation of like willingness to learn you know a desire to learn a desire to help a, a desire to be a team player a desire to uh volunteer when something needs to get done things like that you know all right, awesome. Thank you guys. We have another question in the chat that asks, given COVID, do you think virtual externships would be acceptable for the OMFS applications? For, sorry, for externships, you said? Yes. Yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, they were definitely acceptable for our year. Um, you know, if some programs are, are still not accepting externs for, um, to, to come visit their program, um, you know, I, I think that doing a, a virtual externship there is very, something that was valuable. I tried to do as many as I could, you know, they're usually just like a, a one night thing. Um, you could learn a little bit more about the program and you could put it on your CV. Um, so, you know, and if, Think about it. if you're if you're a program director and you're looking through someone's CV, even if it's a virtual externship, if you see your program's name on that list, um, that shows that that this person's you know interested. So I, I found virtual externships something that was very uh, beneficial, honestly. But it's nothing compared to an in-person externship. You're not going to get a real idea of what the culture is like there, which is something that was very important to me, um, and like the scope and how the attendings are. So try to do in-person externships. Uh, but if it's at a program that you really want to go to and they're not allowing any in-person externships, then definitely, definitely do a, a virtual externship there or at least just reach out to the program director saying that you'd like to do one at least. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think um, try, try to fit in, you know, like I know it's, it's tough during COVID, but try to get some kind of hands-on experience. Virtual externships um, are like hour long kind of presentations and then followed by maybe like a meet and greet with like Zoom breakout rooms or something like that. But that's that's really not, I, I would say that's nothing compared to, spend, really, really nothing compared to spending, you know, time at a program, getting to know the people um, and also just getting the feel of the program. And I think there are a decent or not not maybe not decent but like a handful of programs that are open now so try to try to get some time in at one of those programs you know that'll really especially in the time of covid that'll really show your dedication um and you know and your willingness to kind of go spend that week there to kind of live among the residents you know in the trenches and everything i think i think that'll be great 100 percent. i mean look why not both try and get that in-person externship like here at nyu i think do they have virtual? They we may or may not have virtual, but there's in person open. Um, I know that there were a couple LSU had both in person and virtual. Uh, look around the country. Biggest thing: contact the coordinator. You know they love to hear that someone's interested. 
right? They're getting a bunch of applications. I mean, hundreds. How do you single out who you're going to interview, right? You can only give out so many. Next question I saw in the chat was, what are your plans post-residency, private practice, academia, et cetera? Um, 100%, I'm going to be going into private practice. And I'm actually really excited. I, I, like, I love mentoring. I always have. I, I can't express enough thanks to people that have mentored me. And I spend a lot of my time giving back and mentoring those. I mean, I respond to everyone that DMs me. I find them and I, I try to give the best answer possible. I really do. And uh, I could, I could honestly see myself private practice and doing like one day a week. Uh, some like, like Dr. Kajanis at our program. I mean, phenomenal guy, great teacher, great surgeon. I could definitely see myself doing something like that in the near future. Yeah. So I, I think um, I'm definitely, I, I like, I enjoy research. Um, you know, when I initially started applying, I kind of had this idea of me kind of going into academia um, and, and going that route. Um, but, you know, things will certainly change over the next six years. Things are already changing now. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of, you know, tiptoeing with the idea of maybe, you know, full-time private practice or definitely at least some kind of involvement in the hospital. Uh, like Brendan mentioned, we have a, some, a couple of attendings here who come in once a week um, and they get to teach and mentor. Um, but, you know, that, that's something that I'll hope to figure out for sure over the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I, I think I have a very similar uh, thing to what Brendan said is I'm fairly set on going into private practice. And I think echoing back to what I said about I wanted to be a GP originally, like the ideal of being able to um, work in a private practice setting and maybe own my own practice, that's big for me. And if I'm not the one that's, that's you know, if a case walks in, that's like an OR case, like an orthognathics case or a craniofacial case, if I can't do the case, then perhaps there's someone be my practice, you know, who can handle it. So, you know, you don't you don't have to be the one that takes on all the cases. You know, maybe you're the private practice guy in the um, in the location in the practice you're in, and maybe you have another guy that's more focused on the OR stuff. All right. So as we approach the end of the event, before we ask our last question, we would like to thank the panelists for, you know, dedicating time out of the day to answering our questions and concerns. Thank you so much for giving so much knowledge and insight into this specialty. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure if they have much time after nine to stick around and answer any, you know, further questions, but definitely they have their links um, or they can definitely drop their Instagram accounts or whatever to DM them. But yeah, the last question is, what are the top five traits in the best OMFs candidate to be considered and get admitted into the program? We could, we could go a little bit later. I mean, we started a late because Bobby was on call. You know, that's naturally this happens. Um, I must say probably the in the top five traits, I mean, obviously handsomeness. I mean, look at Bobby, look at that jawline. Are you kidding me? Of course, he was at the top of their rank list. <laughs> um, tops, uh, obviously, if your school's class ranked, I mean, that's so important. That, that's important. CBSE scores probably the number one factor where you get singled out. Um, I thought I was singled out at NYU, but um, CBSE scores way up there, probably if not number one. Class ranking is number your uh, class rank GPA. Let's say that's that's one and the same, right? Uh, and then everything after that kind of falls into play. Your letters of recommendation, this is kind of, you're not going to know what your letters of recommendation are. It's pretty much how you carry yourself, how you uh, talk to communicate and work with the doctors at your school, right? That write them for you. 
And they, that's kind of, I would put that third on the list because the program director is going to read that and that's how they're going to single out the top scores that, wow, great academically, right? Absolute genius, but he can't talk in person. He can't communicate with people, right? That'll be in that letter of recommendation. That's how you get singled out there as well. Number of externships I would put next. Again, the magic number is three. Try and go to your reach schools. Don't do an externship at a safety school. You're just going to potentially hurt yourself. Go for that reach school. Go to the, the place that you dream of going to and maybe you'll land it and get an interview there. Research experience is decent. I know uh, Peter and Bobby will answer this better. They didn't ask me much about my research. I did research and only one out of my 14 interviews asked me about it. All right. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think the CBSC is the thing that kind of, um, I think programs might like filter based on CBSC, some programs might. So that, that's kind of like the thing that gets you in the door, I would say. Um, next, I would say LORs are kind of the, the second most important thing. Um, you know, program directors, they definitely read that, those LORs. Um, you know, they comment on them in interviews. They, they carry a lot of weight because these are people who have gone through residency you know, they, they've been tested, they, they got through it. Um, and these people are writing on your behalf. So they, you know, the program directors, they often know the people who are writing your letters too. Um, so, you know, you know, they're, they're trustworthy and, 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 and uh, they know that you can survive their residency program, essentially. Um, you know, after that, I, I, I don't know how much goes into to GPA and, and class ranking, um, as long as you're not like on the lower end of the spectrum for those two. Um, and for research experience, that was a really big part of my CV. So that was, I, I talked about that, like in every single one of my interviews, essentially it was brought up, uh, but everyone's different. You know, some people do a lot of like community service and, and all those kind of things. So, you know, it really just depends what, what's on your CV. You know, those last couple of things are just like talking points during interviews. I, I, I think, um, the interview itself is also very important. So, like I said, the CBSE kind of gets you through the door. And then during your interview, you know, how you handle yourself. I think that's something that's also very, very important um, also, because, you know, ultimately these, these program directors and residents, they're going to be spending four to six years of their lives with you. So they want to be hanging out with people who are, you know, fun and enjoyable and, and things like that. So, yeah, that, that's like my two cents. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Dr. Peter. I just have a continuing question. I'm the one who put this question on. You okay. said CBS the first thing to let you enter the door of this bathroom. Uh, what ideal score or what is the range of score like probably last year or this year? Because every year I heard it just a percentile and it keeps on going up and up. So what do you think? Like I'm a third year student and I'm preparing mm -hmm. for this exam. I know by the time I'm planning to give it in the next six months, but I've just wanted to have an idea. Yeah, so you, you know, the number that everyone talks about is like get a 70. Um, I, I don't think, I don't know how true that is. Like if you want to go four year or six year, um, there was like a paper studied, a, a paper published um, like a year or two ago that kind of surveyed all the residents and, and they found that the average among the six years was like a 75 and the average among the four years was like a 68 or so. And this was like a year ago. Um, obviously it was a survey, so not everyone responded. Um, but I, I do think um, that's kind of where it's headed. Um, I think, you know, if you want to be like almost guaranteed a match, um, I think you just have to break 75. I think that's kind of like the threshold. Obviously, the higher you get, the better. 
Okay. Um, but I think the 75 is kind of that number for, for a six year and, and to guarantee um, four years as well. I don't know if the guys want to comment on that also. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, I think you should go for 75 and above. I, I believe in you. I think you guys can all do it. Go for, go for 75 and above and have, get a score that you're proud of and you can feel good about, you know, that way when you go into your interviews, you go into them with confidence. I, I think that's really important. And I'll kind of address the other questions about uh, research, or uh, I guess we'll just keep, we'll keep it simple about, you know, the top things that people care about when they're trying to interview you or figuring out whether or not to interview you. So CBSE, grades, and then I think, and, and interests. I think those are the three you should look at. You know, I, I would put letter of recs on there, but it seems like everyone is able to get good letters of rec. I mean, which letter of rec is, is a professor going to say this person sucked or this person, this person is weak in these areas? You know, if you're going to get a letter of rec from someone, 99.9% .9 chance they're going to say all these good things about you. And it's going to be very hard to kind of dis distinguish one letter of rec from another, unless it's someone that you've worked with for a long time and they know, they know you really, really well and they know you personally. So those three things, grades, CBSE, and interest. And interest and things being able to talk about. And I don't want to address one last thing is that, you know, we, we often have these conversations after an application cycle and a conversation like goes like this, like, oh my gosh, like this person had this, this, this score. I can't believe they didn't match. You know, that's, I, that's such a shame uh, for that to happen. That's such a big thing that happens over and over again in every application cycle. And, you know, like we know people who are 80 plus who have, close to 90 or above 90 in CBSEs and they don't match. And that's, that's because of the interview. You know, you gotta be able to kind of talk to someone and be able to sit there and share your thoughts, being able to express yourself, being able to express what you want, what you wanna get out of your experience, being able to tell them how your past experiences have kind of shaped you. You know, communication is huge. It's huge in surgery because if we don't communicate correctly, you know, people get hurt. Patients can get hurt. Um, that's why we're taught so much about closed loop communication and all that stuff. But they're looking for people who can, you know, who are smart enough to learn the information. And it doesn't take a genius to be an oral surgeon. It really doesn't. You know, it does. And we're all smart enough here to do that. So they're looking for that scores to make sure that, you know, you have the capability to learn the information. But past that, you know, you got to do all in the interview. I just want to stress that. Something really important to note here is, well, two things. Um, 75 on the CBC is clearly the point that, that you want to aim for. If you're taking it for the first time, I would aim for that 70, okay? Uh, that'll put you in a, in a much more comfortable position getting started on your path into an oral surgery program. The thing that I wanted to touch on that, that, we, that we missed on is also the school, the dental school that you're coming from, okay? Because there are not, not every program in the United States has the same match percentage, Okay. I mean, Peter's from UPenn, Bobby's from Columbia, I'm from Stony Brook. Uh, I, I'm not sure their, their match percentages, but at Stony Brook, my year was four for four, four people, which means four, we had a class of 44 students. Four of us applied to oral surgery and all four matched into an oral surgery program. Okay. NYU's program, I know at least a dozen that apply. NYU's class is 375 to 400 students. I know over a dozen students applied to oral surgery but only a handful matched. That's a much different percentage. This is very important. I would honestly put that within the top three things to consider as well um, in your rank list of what is given precedent when applying to an oral surgery residency program. Thank yeah, you, but with that, With that said, you know, if you're, if you're at a program that historically doesn't match really well, 
just make sure you do really well on your CBSC. Okay. Put a lot of time into your CBSC and, you know, go extern, you know, the program that you're at, it's not going to like limit you from getting into programs. If you really want to get it done. Okay. There are, there are people at these programs who match and, you know, I bet you that they have great CBSCs um, and, and they show interest like Bobby said. So, you know, that don't let that hinder you or, you know, whatever, if, if, you know, you're not, if you're at a program that historically doesn't do that well, you, you could definitely get it done. Should all three letters of rec be from home institute or can it be from OMS program director of the, yes, uh, letters of recommendation range to either three to five. And one of them is supposed to be the Dean. Another one is supposed to be like the head of oral surgery. So then you, that leaves you one to three letters from oral surgeons that know you. Uh, we were just talking about this before, right? Peter, we were saying they should be from oral surgeons. <laughs> and here I am, the dope that got it from. One of mine was from a periodontist, but he was my mentor. I did research with him. Uh, he mentored me very closely throughout dental school in, in, in a personal way that you know related to confidence and, and ego. And um, I love the guy. I wouldn't want anyone else to write my letter, one of my records, letters of recommendation and it worked out well. Uh, yeah, Peter, we were just talking about this at dinner. Yeah, you know, I, I, I totally agree. I, I think, um, you know, either A, um, get them from, well, try to get them from or all OMFS. Um, but if you do have someone that's very close to you um, in another specialty or, you know, whatever, then I think it, it's also wise to include them because they could speak on your behalf. But I think try to focus on getting them from, from oral surgery um, attendings and things. Because again, kind of going back to what I was saying, you know, these people have been through residency um, you know, an oral surgery residency. So, you know, program directors will kind of take their word for it um, more so than, you know, a general dentist or, you know, periodontist as well. But if they have good things to say about you, that's only going to help you. So just don't get like a general letter from a, a general dentist or a perio. That'll, that'll kind of be a bad look, I think. All right. Well, that was all the questions that we had, but if anyone else has any other questions, you can drop them in the chat. Um, but if not, we can wrap this up. So just feel free to drop anything else in the chat. Another question that was overlooked in the chat. I'm just looking because I want to make sure we cover everything. This is precious time. We happen to all three of us. We're usually like one person's on call. So this is a very, very lucky time for us. And I can't appreciate that more for being able to join us with us tonight. Um, one question in the chat was the difference between um, the dental alveolar specific training between four-year programs and six-year or the four-year track and six-year. Um, as far as the different goes, difference goes between me and, and, and Peter and Bobby, I would say the only dip, we're getting the same amount of dental alveolar training. The only difference is that two years they are taking in medical school and they get their MD degree. The training is the same. It's the exact same. So the answer to that question, what I would provide you is that you need to look at programs, okay? Different programs have different amounts of dental alveolar programs. Some programs are heavy in the cancer section, okay? They're doing neck sessions three times a week. Some programs, uh, Montefiore, heavy in dental alveolar. I mean, they're slamming in implants. They're taking out teeth all day long. Some programs are, you know, broad scope where you're getting both. I think Bobby, Peter, and I, we have been so fortunate to get into NWA because we cover all the whole spectrum. Okay. We get it all. We get heavy dental alveolar. We get neck dissections one, once, twice a month. 
Um, I think that's really important to look into. And how do you look into that? You got to go and extern. Those people that go to their programs also externed, right? The interns there externed at other programs. They apply to other places. They have information about other programs. Okay, you got to get out there and try. All right, there seems to be another one in the chat. It asks, approximately what ranking would you recommend aiming for? Uh, as high as you can, I guess. That's what I would say. Do the best you can. I think I think that's 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 what I can say for um for people. If you go to if you go to a school that ranks as high as you can without changing your personality. Anything else, guys? Anything else? So the CBST has only three attempts right now. I mean, initially it used to be long, but now it's only three times. The CBST exam. You could take it as many times as, as you want, I think. Unless that like just changed. Is that what you're asking, Pretty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was only three attempts. No? Did that change recently, guys? I'm that changed to five attempts only now. You can do it only oh, five times. I, I believe it's six times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maybe I'll have to no, go back according to the Amos yeah. uh, website. Okay. Yeah, you won't, you won't need that many attempts. <laughs> just, you know, just use those resources, really take your time and study, and I think you should be fine. Um, but yeah, I wasn't aware of any, any uh, restrictions on that. Yeah, I thought it is restricted now, unlike before. Jesus, yeah. yeah, six Ow. times. I mean, maybe if you started as like, you know, like a sophomore and undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> and for Daniel, um, I would suggest going on an externship once you get a little bit of clinical experience. Um, if you want to go on an externship earlier than that, I would suggest going to an externship um, that's hands-off. So, you know, in the Northeast, there are a number of, of programs that are completely hands-off, like, like Rutgers would be a good one. Um, to kind of start with, if, if you'd like, if you're in the Northeast. Um, and also closer to when you, you apply too. And, and, you know, cause you kind of want these, these programs to remember you as well. Um, so yeah, the summer before you apply is, is a good time, I think, cause you have some clinical experience and plus that's close enough to the application cycle where, where they'll remember you. All right, if we don't have any more, do we have questions? Someone I just mentioned to just briefly, someone had asked me about externship cycle, exactly what Peter said, plan like hands off first, get a little bit of, of experience in externships itself. And I would plan if you do have in mind a certain program or two that you want to go to most, I would do that one last because then you're going to have a lot more externships on your belt. You're going to have experience. You're going to be a lot more comfortable. And when you're doing it last, plan it for July, August right before you apply or during your application, right? Because just like Peter said, it's, they're gonna be, you're gonna be fresh on their mind. Thank you so much, great help. 
Uh, hey guys, so this might be a little bit off topic, but uh, Brendan, Peter, and Bobby, you guys literally went to, I, I just applied to dental school and you guys are, you guys literally went to my top three schools. Um, and if perhaps I do get an interview, can you guys maybe, if you have time, just drop some maybe tips that can kind of better me for the interview. Sam, absolutely. You let us know. You came to our event tonight. We really appreciate that. And thank you for participating. Anything you need, please get us on Instagram, DM us, let us know. Any questions you have, let me know. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. All right, if no one has any further questions, you guys feel free to leave because it's past our end time. So feel free to leave, but the VAW and the students of dentistry team will stay behind if you guys have any further questions. So thank you again to the panelists for coming. Good luck, everyone. Thanks for coming out, guys. Cheers. Shereem was here from past events. How nice. I remember Shereem. Shereem's gonna kill it. He's gonna he's gonna do great. Oh, is he applying to to Yeah, he's still early on. He's still got a couple of years before he applies. He's, he's so gonna, nice. he's gonna kill it. Yeah, he's, he's gonna good at do talking. Good. He's so good at talking. He is. He's 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 so he's great. And and you know the information he gives is spot on. The one oh, yeah. thing I would say is he's he's thinking he's he's asking questions about non-cads. I want him to go for it. I don't want him to worry about getting a non-cad. I think he's going to get in on his first try. I want him to go to the program that he wants to go to. Is he's he going to be fine. I think he so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, good luck to him. He's so sweet. So great. He really is. All right, but good event though, Brendan. We I think we did well. I gotta thank those guys, you know, Bobby and Peter, that they were able to come out. Bobby just got off call; he's exhausted, you know. Bobby, yeah, <laughs> and he made it, man. Yeah, thank I'm good. you so much. I, thank you. Thankfully, Brendan called me, or else I would have slept through it. But it was it was a lot of fun. Thank you guys for setting this up and hosting everything. Oh, yeah, it's no, definitely a great format than just you know us three talking. Yeah, it's great. It was really great. Thank you. I think you guys are all really different people, so I really like the different perspectives you guys all provided. So thank you.